Stay true, stay real, stay righteous. What are you having to drink tonight, Chris? I'm going to have me a Kentucky Common. Mmm, a Common. <laughs> yeah, this is a Kentucky, this is Kentucky Common. It's it's actually from Kentucky, Richmond, Kentucky. Ooh, Richmond. By a, a company called Dreaming Creek Brewery. Dreaming Creek Brewery. And, and interestingly, I, I looked this up, but the name, the Kentucky Common, is not necessarily specific to this drink. It's actually a style of beer. Oh, cool. Never heard of this. Mm. But apparently what is it, very it is, it bland is or common an taste? indigenous, as it said on, when I looked it up, it said an indigenous American beer style. So that's kind of interesting. I interesting. didn't know that uh, Kentucky was known for beer. <laughs> I thought we were known for bourbon, but I didn't know there was a type of beer that was associated with our state. An indigenous beer style. Hmm. Indigenous so American. Its roots are right. from Kentucky, right? Is that, is that what that's meaning? That's what I take it, yeah. Or America, at least. But yeah, so anyways, the point is that apparently a, a Kentucky Common is a type of beer. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. Or a beer style. Cool. I don't know. I didn't know this. You, you know, we brew the Kentucky more you know, Common. You just, see the, you just see the little rainbow with the star, the more you know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Kentucky, so I was uh, eating at a restaurant with some co-workers of mine. Um, in our hometown, the restaurant, the particular restaurant we were eating at, is is relatively new, but the building used to house another restaurant before this one that we were mm-hmm. eating at at the time. Yeah, and we were kind of because the restaurants that had come before it, we had heard about it. We had never had an opportunity, or at least I had never had an opportunity to eat there. Mm. But it didn't last very long, um, and then it was so we were kind of talking to each other about, you know, wondering what might have happened, you know. And one of the people we were eating with told us this very bizarre story about, or, or, and by the way, this is all speculation. Nobody has proof of this. Mm-hmm. But apparently the owner of the original restaurant from this building, like, has dis- like disappeared. Apparently their car was seen for several months parked at the the restaurant that they had owned the owner had I'm trying to say the owner at the time his car was left there for several months nobody knew what happened so this i guess the this person that was already working for this <laughs> business <laughs> Boston show up for a month. Uh, somehow assumed the company and kind of made it into her own, essentially. Kind of took gotcha. over the restaurant, but changed the name and kind of updated the menu and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happened to the guy who started disappeared. The so the speculation is that supposedly the owner of the previous restaurant obtained the money to be able to, to have this business through the Mexican mafia. The local Mexican mafia. <laughs> Now, to be clear, I've never heard of our hometown having a Mexican mafia in it, but there are quite a few Mexican businesses in there. There actually are quite a few restaurants. I know mm-hmm. there's like three or four restaurants that are ran. They're, they're all different families yeah. that own them. I also know there's a few like convenience stores yeah. that are specifically you know Hispanic or Mexican. Well, and there is a Hispanic know, population right. here, yeah. But I've never heard of a, you know, I've never heard of a mafia existing, but... 
it, you know, the speculation is that this guy who had owned that restaurant opened the business through money that was lo- loaned to him. Oh, man. And that supposedly <laughs> oh, he shit. disappeared because he wasn't paying, he wasn't right. paying his dues, right? right. <laughs> and so, as we're telling this story, <laughs> another person in the group chimed and said, you know, that's really interesting you say that because I had, they, I had eaten here one time and there was a really weird exchange that happened like in front of me. And she said, so this this person was telling us a story about, she said, I came in here to pick up an order, and the the owner of the original restaurant was sitting at a table kind of back towards the corner, and he, he waved over one of the waitresses that was at the restaurant. And he said something to her, and she handed him a key, and he looked at her as she was walking away, and he stopped her, and he said, hey, he said, I want you to let you know if anything goes down, it's not your fault. And she was just like, it was really weird. She was like, it was, kind of, it was kind of like one of those experiences where, or like in the movies when you see like the mob boss sitting at the deli shop, you know, over at their table. <laughs> right. And like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh-huh. they kind of, like, no, seriously. It was a, <laughs> so apparently there's been some kind of unusual activity and there was speculation that maybe drugs were being laundered out of it, right. that it was, that the business was, was built as a front for a larger operation happening. Right. By, uh, once again, this is total speculation, and I'm not going to name the current or the original restaurant because this is total speculation. Right. But I thought it was very bizarre to hear that because I was like, man, I was like, I've never heard of something. You know, our our hometown's very small. I mean, it's a pretty small rural town, so you don't hear about <laughs> you know <laughs> Mexican mafias coming in and and setting up shop in the middle of your town, but I don't know. It's certainly a bizarre story, and I do believe that the guy is still currently <laughs> missing. So I don't know if they've ever found him. I don't know, man. We we kind of live in an area that surrounding areas have also had really weird stuff like that happen. You know, I, I say that, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, we are known for having, what, the Cornbread Mafia? Right, right. I don't I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if that was in this area. Yeah. It was in this area, right? In, or involved, you know, there were people involved in this in area. This county and the the um, neighboring county, I so, believe. So for Girl anybody, for anybody who doesn't know what the Cornbread Mafia is, mm. um, and there's a whole history and a whole, you know, uh, I'm sure there's documentaries and movies you can yeah. look up that actually detail this. Plenty of, yeah, plenty of stuff. In, in this in, in, in this particular area of Kentucky where we're from, um, I guess at one time there was this very large drug trafficking operation cannabis. for cannabis, for right. marijuana, essentially. And um, it was a pretty big deal. And trafficking a lot of people, operation, right. right. Um, to move cannabis. So anyway, like I said, that, that's time. that's something we could go into a whole other story and talk about, and I might say that for another time, but, you know, as I'm saying that, I guess we have had <laughs> some, as you say, some very unusual Suspicious activity. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting. I, I was kind of hoping that as we were talking about it, I was going to look out the window, and this car was going to pull up real fast in front of the store, and you're just going to see two guys in, in masks get out and <laughs> open up the back trunk and throw this naked guy <laughs> out the back and just drive off really fast, and it ends up being the previous owner. <laughs> you know, Everybody runs out there, cuts him loose, and he's just standing there. <gasps> man, where have you been at? <laughs> oh, man, I fucked up real bad, man. <laughs> I fucked up real bad, man. I don't know. It's kind of weird, though. I mean, somebody turns up missing. Nobody knows where they went. You know, especially when they when they've had a, a business that wasn't around for very long. So I mean, this is a very new 
prospect for somebody just to abandon it and, and disappear. So there's also been spec, you know, so it was just a very unusual story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, it was just it was strange. That, uh, I don't know. It, it, made, it made my mind wander around and, and think about, man, like what, what could really be going on in these little small towns? Because, you know, if you think about it, if you're really wanting to be a good, a good, you know, smuggling operation mm-hmm. or you want to do any type of CD business, you know, anymore, you almost have to go somewhere more secluded, right? There's too many, <laughs> too many variables in the cities and stuff. Law enforcement's getting too crafty, you know. Right. They'll, they'll be releasing, they'll be releasing the RoboCops for too long. I mean, they're getting. Well, and you got to think. I mean, <laughs> r- rural rural areas are. I saw a lot of them are generally rife with drugs and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of the the trade that passes mm-hmm. through. I mean, it actually is very appealing to the populace of these areas as well. Bring on the drugs. I mean, a lot of it's people that are just surviving in life. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of them trying to numb up the, you know, trying to to escape some of the pains that come with just surviving all the time. But why do you think it, it affects rural areas? Because that's, a, that's where a lot of your blue-collar jobs are. Mm-hmm. Your workers who aren't necessarily making all the money. Mm-hmm. Cosmopolitan areas generally hold, I mean, they're the hubs for major firms, you know, um... I mean, I mean, large companies, more of like white collar opportunity, blue collar work, and I mean, it's something that we're really seeing start to radically change, especially due to inflation and work, you know, demand for workers. Those jobs aren't always the most appealing jobs, nor are they also the best paying at at times. There's a reason why cost of living is lower outside of those areas. I think it's like eighty two percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Wow. Yeah, it's like something no, crazy. Oh, it's something crazy. So I mean. To me, uh, I mean that that would be my assessment: is the blue collar yep. jobs that don't necessarily pay as great as some of the white collar jobs are are what dominate these regions. I mean, man, there was a really weird video I was watching. I don't, do we talk about the vid? Do we talk about the video about the guy from the nineteen fifties who was unhappy with his life? Man, there's a uh, maybe we didn't. There's a really weird video on YouTube, but it's a guy that's being interviewed. In the 1950s, and he works mm-hmm. in, in, in like an, I think it's like a GM factory or something. But he talks about how he's working in this factory, and he's, it's just this constant toll of him just consistently going back and forth, back and forth, this purposeless existence to take a metal piece, smack it onto the bumper piece or whatever, you know, whatever the, mm-hmm. the assembly process is. Then he's like, I go home. And my wife's home, and my my kid is home, and we spend family time together. And you know, I I have these things that I'm told that should make me happy, yet I feel such a lack of purpose, of meaning. Mm. And it was really interesting because that video, like even like back in that time, a lot of men would probably look at what he had and said, "Dude, you've got the life. What are you talking about?" But as humans, we kind of hamper that desire for understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, well, because a lot of people just accept the constructs and the reality that we live in. Well, don't, you, don't do you think it's because it's more safe? Well, it's easier, mm-hmm. right? It's easier to to comply, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's easier to obey. Obey. I mean, your decisions are made for you. I think a lot of people consume having to make their own decisions would require them to know themselves mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. to know what they truly want. How much easier is it to hop on Facebook and let the, the world and society tell you what you should mm. feel about things and how you sh- and what your life should be centered sure. around and what yeah. you deserve and what you don't deserve? Mm-hmm. Our species has been exposed to something far beyond the current comprehension of what we know it as. Like things like social media affect us far more than we'll ever realize. Far more. 
It's literally shaped our culture. It's literally defined portions of our culture, who we are as yeah, people, how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Presidents have tweet Twitters now. <laughs> like, that's so weird. Right, yeah. Those dudes don't need to be talking about anything online. You know, talking about humans' understanding <laughs> mm. or, or our limits of understanding. I, I was reading this article, and this guy was talking about, it was, it was some ex-CIA person. And he was talking about how anomalies that people talk that, that people experience, such as poltergeist activity, or even experiencing things that they would perceive as like extraterrestrials, right. or that these are all actually very natural phenomena. But we as human beings are so unaware of the full existence that we don't really perceive these things normally. We don't really see what's really going on. Right. And he he sort of made the analogies of a cat running through a library. He said that cat does not understand and interpret what it's in. It doesn't understand what books are or what they're about. It doesn't understand what a library is. It's only reacting and existing in what it can interpret. Right. Right? In its mm-hmm. limited perception. So we see it as a cat running through a library. The cat doesn't doesn't see it as that. It doesn't understand it as that. Mm-hmm. So I guess he, he was sort of trying to make an example that we're sort of a cat wandering through our lives, not really fully understanding what's actually going on, like what what is happening. You know, absolutely. We react to our perception of reality, and, and I and I guess to sum that up, to, to to tie in some of the bizarre things that he was talking about, these natural phenomena, mm-hmm. he was sort of saying that you know, if we were able to access more understanding and be able to perceive these things, that it would become more common. We wouldn't see interactions with different beings from other another dimension or another planet as being unusual we can maybe find that maybe things like poltergeist isn't actually a spirit. Maybe we're inadvertently moving things that we didn't realize we, because we don't, because we don't perceive ourselves to have that ability. Right. We naturally think it has to be an external source. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have stated that some, some people believe that hauntings are actually created by the people that they are somehow evoking energy. That's causing things to happen in the house. And they, because they don't understand that they're the ones causing it. They believe it's an external source. Well, it has to be something I can't see. It has to be this, you know, intelligent being. But the more I focus on it, the more things are happening, right? Maybe people have more abilities than they understand because we don't, because we simply don't perceive the world that way. Hey, it's let impossible. Me... Human beings can't do that. Well, it's got to be, you know. Something else. It's got to be scientifically explained mm-hmm. or it's just something out of this world. It's paranormal. There's no way it can, it can be from you. Right. I don't know. It's, it, it was a very interesting perspective of our reality. No, I agree. I, no, I think that's really interesting stuff because we, we, we hold ideas of our reality based in science a lot of times. A lot of people look to science to explain things. But one of the things that's happening literally as we speak, you know, in the field of like quantum physics, it's defying what we know about like Newtonian theory and stuff. It's defining different types of different aspects of science that really can't be explained by science. Pseudoscience. It, it more in, more in the realm of pseudoscience. It really is because it's not really Fringe provable. science or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yet at the same time it's also it's also stuff that like people like say it works. It's real. Right. Like it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean a lot of it I mean we're in the really early years of a lot of that kind of stuff too. Like a lot of quantum physicists 
seem to also be very spiritually paced mm. people. And maybe that's just because, frankly, from what they see and study, creates that maybe within just, them. Maybe just being more aware, right? <laughs> They're like, hey, holy you know, shit. You know, I was thinking more. about it as, as I'm thinking even, like, I'm sorry, I'm going back to my analogy or the analogy I explained mm-hmm. about being in the library, but to go even deeper, it's sort of like, it's very easy to walk through a library and just see it as is. Mm-hmm. But to actually walk up and begin removing books and find that they themselves, these smaller pieces of this whole thing, right. have so much more information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's more than just this physical thing that I'm in. There's literal knowledge and information within every crevice. There's, there's, a, there's a form of understanding if I'm willing, and truth and everything. If I'm willing to go and pick, right, and if you're willing pulling to do it. out, right. I don't if you're know. willing to explore. That's right. No, that's exactly right. It's funny you say that. I was reading an article the other day that was talking about consciousness, the level of consciousness mm-hmm. that that is held. Like what? So, so it was making the it was making the point that a lot of times we consider ourselves conscious beings. We're alive. We're right. speaking to each other. We're moving, but we generally don't regard inanimate objects or thing of that things of that nature to have consciousness. They're just things that exist. We made them. They exist. Therefore, they are. But there's a really interesting theory that challenges that, saying every substance holds molecules in it. Mm-hmm. Everything does, and molecules are inherently alive. Yes, they don't have the the level of consciousness that we do. But in theory, they're technically alive. They're real. They're there. So with everything being made out of particles, <laughs> right? Everything, every single thing that we touch or anything hey. that we move in holds a level of consciousness. So, we exist in consciousness. So when people say it was like the house was alive, maybe it really, <laughs> maybe in some in some context it was. Well, you know, it's interesting because when we look at something. For example, you look at a table, right? Physically, we touch the table, we look at it, it looks as though it is a solid object. But if you were to break it down to molecular size, it's literally, actually, there is nothing. It's It's solid. It's It's moving. moving. It's constantly moving. But the molecules are moving so slow that you can't pass through it. It's a solid object to you, right? right? It's like the quantum realm. Well, I mean, I think that's what's fascinating about science is the more you understand about your world, the the less you understand. Well, well, for some people may see that, but I honestly feel like the more connected you start to become to it because you understand it, right? Well, I think that's what a lot of these quantum physicists are doing. They're starting to be like, man, this is far beyond what we ever... And it's okay to explore some of the unknown (laughs) and not be afraid, right, to question or to explore things that we have questions about. Well, I mean, through my exploration into the unknown, I conquered fear because I literally explored things that were very uncomfortable to, to explore. That's all therapy ever does for people. You're you're literally processing these pains and these emotions that you fr- that frankly nobody wants to deal with. Those are hard emotions to deal mm-hmm. with. But once you you get them out, you analyze them, you deal with them, and you come to an understanding about you, you come to whatever understanding you need to give you a peace about that. That is when you're truly conquering fear. You're no longer afraid. You are improving yourself and your intellect and your form. Do you believe that by becoming more awake, you actually are more in control of your world? Mm. As I've always told you, the pure substance and source of our reality is based in our choice to exist or to not exist. Mm -hmm. So people will debate. I mean, there's some really smart people that will... I've, I've listened to lectures about this before who talk about the idea of like, 
um, destiny, you know, um, the divine path that's laid out for you, and even you don't make any choices. Every choice is all preconceived mm. from you. But mm-hmm. nobody goes to the core fundamentals and says, and as morbid as it may sound, because but you have to put it on this level. You have to get as, as deep into it as you can. Because I, as a conscious being, have the ability to choose to exist or not to exist, even as morbid as that mm-hmm. is, simply anything made stemming from those choices is all just chronological events following that choice. Mm-hmm. I'm existing, so what I choose to go for to what so whatever I choose to happen going forward is all based in my ability to choose to exist. Yes, the constructs that are built around me aren't fair. There's things that I cannot control in my life. But because I have that one singular choice, in my opinion, it truly does prove that reality is based in choice. I think, therefore, I am, right? <laughs> I'm alive. That's I'm aware. What they say. I'm aware, or I choose not to be aware. The choice is yours. But choose. what you do when you choose to exist is your own accountability. So you also feel like by, by choosing to exist, you also sort of predetermine some of your choices are already made. They are. But as, as unfair as it sounds, mm. when you go back to the root of it, it all goes right back to that. Mm. The core virtue of existing or not existing. Well, Chris, as always, it's been good. Absolutely. And if you enjoy what you heard tonight, we are streaming on all major platforms. And you can check us out on any of our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, everybody stay true, stay real, stay righteous.